I feel like a lot of people yell at the start of their podcasts. Like a like a loud hello. But I don't really want to do that cuz I don't enjoy my voice going louder than however loud this is. Uh generally unless I'm making a you know always really funny joke. But hello. And welcome to the called cast. We've got something special in the works. And by weave, I mean meave. And by special, I mean not that special. Um, but we can talk about that later. Huh? Pew. If I was good at this, I'd edit a gunshot in there, but we'll see. Might start editing these. And there we go. Anyway, we're on the called cast. Um, well, you're not. I am. We, as an I. Oh, fuck me. Anyway, kind of a mess already. Um, in a weird mood today, I think. <laughs> I don't think I spoke out loud. In the last 24 hours. Which is a strange thing to think about now that I have gone through that. But anyway, we're going to we're gonna go through some things. I've elected to go with cue cards today. I find that a lot easier. Or at least this week I did. I found it much easier to, you know, watch it and write it down at the same time. Then I did, you know, going on to the spreadsheets or into the letterbox to, so I could get some real-time reactions in here. So these, 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 these talking points might feel a little different, feel a little wacky. Um, and we'll just see how it goes, I guess. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed, actually, when I was editing the last one is that I say um a lot. <sighs> And I think it's because I have a slow brain. But anyway, we're we're gonna we're not gonna talk about that right now. So the first movie I watched, and this is gonna be a real clickbaiter. So everyone, watch out because this one's bringing in the views. Okay, it's called Cotton Comes to Harlem. <laughs> I know everyone loves it, but we're gonna get this one out of the way quick. I promise you. Promise you even though it's one of the movies I liked very much this week. Um, so Cotton Comes to Harlem is part of the Criterion Channel's neo-noir collection that they released in the last couple weeks, I believe. Um, I don't have an exact date, and I won't research it because it really doesn't matter. But it's part of the Criterion Channel's neo-noir collection of films. Um, and it's the, the oldest one in that bunch. I think it was made in the 70s. Forget who the director is. I'm sorry about that, but you can Google it if you if you're really that interested. Um, and I I really like this movie. It's uh, about these. It's set in Harlem, obviously, because the cotton comes to Harlem, and it's about these two police officers. Uh, and I forget their names, but they are played by Godfrey Cambridge and Raymond Saint Jacques. Or Jacques, or something. French names are not my specialty. Uh, but they're two police officers 
pretty skeptical kind of looking through dirty glasses that's the saying and there's this naughty reverend in town and the reverend's you know a bit of a skis he's uh i forget who he's played by i don't think i wrote it down here but i i like the the whole idea of the scummy reverend um it it feels black exploitation movie-esque um i know i've watched a couple other black exploitation movies in my advanced time on the earth here um like blackula and uh shaft i i enjoy shaft um not the women hitting and there is some women hitting in this movie uh, you could call it domestic violence or just normal violence or assault um but that happens a lot in these movies but the good thing is that it doesn't look really real at all so it's easy to suspend your disbelief but yeah, I think as a whole, it's a pretty good crime movie. The The sort of mystery is, is surrounding an unusually low amount of money for the sort of, um, well, actually not for neo-noir, but for this sort of scale that we're used to these days where it's like, I'm stealing the entire bank vault um, when we're dragging it through Rio or we're robbing eight hotels at the same time or... God, that was aggressive. It tastes like fruit. I have not eaten fruit today. Something's fermenting. Anyway, it's a fun watch. Um, I do have one complaint about Criterion, though. Criterion channel as a whole. They use the Vimeo video player in just for all of it. And... I'm going to be honest, there's really like two good video players, or maybe three. There's three good video players that exist on the internet. There's YouTube, high quality, pretty good. Actually, no, there's only two, if I'm being completely honest. There's YouTube, and then there's basically just Pornhub. And then everyone else is pretty much shit. Um, quality is rough at the best of times. Amazon Prime is actually pretty good. Um, but like eight S tiers like YouTube and Pornhub and then Amazon Prime is probably A tier Netflix has really been disappointing me recently so they need to get their numbers up or I am I'm not out of there I don't pay for it and I won't stop watching the things that they make but they gotta fix something because the quality is very bad um but I would recommend Cotton Comes to Harlem. Oh, God. Why am I so burpy today? And the sort of neo-noir, or just noir, genre as a whole. Um, I enjoy crime movies more and more. I think it's because of, like I said, in my advanced age, men of a certain age just kind of want to see people get shot. So... And I don't think that's exclusive to white men, but we'll maybe I'll get someone to run a study. The next movie I watched this week was Fear Street Part Two, nineteen. Oh fuck, was it seventy-eight? Yeah, it's seventy-eight. Fear Street Part Two, nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> and this one's the sort of 
80s slasher, sex camp, super sec- summer camps having sex, uh, slasher Friday the 13th kind of thing. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, there's some parts where it it builds on builds on the last movie, 94, um, with Dina and her brother going to see see whatever Gillian Anderson was it her name is Gillian Anderson, right? Something like that. The li- Britta from Community. I think. Anyway, they go to see her, um, and they're like, oh, shit, baby, it's happening again. And she's like, oh, shit, baby, okay, let me tell you this story that definitely took a really long time to tell. Uh, but it's a good story. Uh, and I, I like the whole kind of summer camp vibe. I'm really just down for anything set on a summer camp. Um, I watched the <coughs> prequel wet hot american summer show without even knowing what wet hot american summer was and i didn't really understand anything but it was like incredible i loved it i watched it in like two days um when i was a full-time high school athlete as you can see it's worn well on my body currently anyway so We've got basically a new cast in this, um, and it's not really star-studded, but we we get we've got Max from Stranger Things, Sadie Sink, um, and then a couple other people that you'll probably recognize in there. Uh, yeah, so it, you know it's not really star-studded, but it's it's pretty fun. I think my sort of MVP of it all would be. McCabe Sly, I feel like I figured out how to say his name while I was watching the movie and then forgot. Uh, McCabe Sly, who plays the Tommy Slater, I believe is his, is his name in the movie, and he's the killer, um, and he's one of the killers that they talk about in the first movie. That's the word in the first movie, and he's he's in a, the guy with the axe and the bag over his head. And I think he's a, a pretty good. He's got a pretty good presence. You, he kind of like, I don't know. There's like a, a sad boy thing that he's got going on that he seems to be doing pretty well. Not that he's like just sad because he's getting possessed by a witch. Spoilers. But he's got this sort of like vibe about him that he seems to play very well. There's also uh, Emily Rudd is kind of like... Uh, she's the main, one of the main protagonists, um, and her and Sadie Sink are sisters, Sadie Sink sisters. Uh, yeah, and she, she's pretty good. Um, it's all pretty good, I think. They get really into the mythology of the witch. We kind of see her, her lair. We get some backstory on, like, what kind of happens in Shady Side? Shady Side is the town's name. Yep. What kind of happens in Shady Side? And some stories from people who live in in Shady Side, and like why it's so, as the name suggests, shady, and why 
bad like the kind of bad stuff that happens uh but i i think the movie really kind of thrives in it's like one-on-one sort of dynamics uh and this is mainly in ziggy who is sadie sinks sadie sinks character's name and nick good who is the sheriff we see in the first movie who doesn't believe the kids. I wonder if the dishwasher is getting picked up on my mic. I don't think it is. The levels aren't changing, but these levels are imprecise. I guess we'll have to see. Um, yeah, so th- I think the movie does pretty well in sorting ha- sort of having these conversations between characters. And, you know, at times it's a little expository. It's a little like... Are you really going to be like, my dad left me when I was six? It's like the, it kind of falls into some Riverdale elements, but also it's sort of paying some homage to, to these 80 horror movies, which though they're fun and great, maybe not always the best written. That might be controversial, but maybe not always the best written movies. Uh, and you know, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So yeah, a couple notes I'll jot down just, or not jot down, I guess I'll, I'll say that I jotted down are Netflix streaming quality is dog shit. Uh, I'll never like a compound fracture, which is when the bone is sticking out of the skin. If you don't know, yikes on that. Um, I wonder what it would be like if we went started with 1666, which is going to be the one that comes out on Friday with Emily Fears, Fires, Fears, the witch where she like cuts off her hand. They give a little teaser at the end. It looks pretty interesting. Um, I like the witch book. Evil books get me to buy in. I do really enjoy an evil book in a movie. Just like the, the sort of the aura that it brings the sort of like mythos around it, you know, like just to touch an old book. There's lots of pictures. This you've cut, you've glued pictures into between the pages and it's thick. And the, the binding on the back is like kind of struggling. And then people close it all the way and you're like, that's going to break, but it's bound by leather. So it's probably not. Um, and yeah, there's there's a little some twists, but I, I think I like 78 better than I like 94. And I think it's because 78 has a little bit less to do than 94 does. Um, and 78 feels a little more organic. Like 94, we have to have a... Like we have to explain who all these killers are, which may... Like that's not the fault of the creator or anything. <coughs> That's the fault of making, like, that's the consequence of making essentially a TV show, uh, three episodes of a feature-length TV show or whatever. It's basically a six, oh, God, me, fucking, it's basically making a a six-hour miniseries. So you're going to have to set some stuff in the up in the beginning, explain some characters, so we're not just completely in the dark. 
But I think the fact that 78 didn't have to do all that, though it still has to do some stuff, um, sort of myth-building, world-building, um, I think that it, that gives it a bit of a advantage, and I, I think I liked it a little more. And maybe it's because I'm just kind of into it now. But uh, excited for 1666 to come out this week. Anyway, next thing we've got on our stack of cards is White Lotus. Now we haven't really talked about. Well, we've that's. I was just gonna lie straight to your face, and you would all know it was a lie, because uh, we have been talking about TV, but we've only been talking about Loki, because there isn't. Like, to my knowledge, there wasn't really anything else on. I'm not going to watch the Gossip Girl reboot. I didn't watch it the first time, and I don't care. So this is the first thing that's come along where I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting to me. And the basic premise is um, a family, a newly married couple, and this like weird rich lady with her mom's ashes go to a Hawaiian resort. And there's like a sort of dark side. And it's a comedy, dramedy sort of thing. And I learned this while I was listening to The Watch today. Um, Mike White, who is the writer and I guess creator of the show, was on Survivor. And I actually did watch one of his Survivor seasons. I forget which season it was. But um, he they basically just called him the School of Rock guy. Um, and I, I'd seen School of Rock a couple times, but I didn't really like have a... A sort of touch point, I guess. Like that wasn't like a touch point, but I understand now more when I see this show, like what kind of stuff he does. And this show's very interesting, and I like the concept um, from the first like line of the description on Crave, which is absolute shit tier streaming quality. I might add. I was kind of like, oh, this sounds interesting. This is, sounds like something I could get in on. This sounds something like something I could have fun with. Now, it's going to be six episodes, which little disappointing because I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do after that, but oh, well. Um, I sort of touched on this. First thing on the cue cards here. I like the humor and the concept. Um, it's sort of lampooning. All all the people in the show are pretty wealthy because they're going to a Hawaiian resort on a private island, essentially. Um, and it's sort of like poking fun at mega rich family dynamics, relationship dynamics kind of stuff. Um, and I like to make fun of people about that and joke about that. So that's fun. Um, I also like the cast a lot. Uh, Steve Zahn is in this. And I never think about him. But every time I see him, I go, that's a guy I like. And I think it's because he kind of looks like, um, why am I, Michael J. Fox? Uh, he's got the same sort of chin and like eye structure in a way. And I like Michael J. Fox, and I really like Back to the Future. Uh, but I, I like Steve Zahn, and he seems like a pretty funny guy. He was also in... Remember, watch Captain Fantastic. Though I did fall asleep at one point while I was watching that. Um, and that's why I didn't talk about it on here. Seems alright. I don't know. Um, but he's kind of like a spark plug. Like um, Cameron Payne, the one good game he has every five years. If 
you watch basketball or follow it at all. Um, we've also got Sydney Sweeney, Sydney Sweeney of Euphoria fame, and Brittany O'Grady, and they're the sort of like rich daughter and daughter's friend of the family of Gregson, Connie Britton, and what was that guy's name? He's also in Fear Street. Fred Hinchiner, Hinchinger, Hinchner. Anyway, um, they're also, it's like a, it's pretty good. I like the cast. Um, Alexandra Dario is also in it. The one weird um, intern guy, not the, the guy that was in the sex trip movie, but the other guy who tries to date Aaron is in it. And uh, Jennifer Coolidge is like the, the old rich lady with her mom's ashes. But, yeah, I think it's pretty fun. Uh, I don't know. I, I like this show. I'm going to keep talking about it. Not much has happened yet. Um, one lady gave birth on her first day. I think her name is Lonnie in the show. I don't, I, didn't, I don't think I wrote down her name here. But, yeah, it feels like, a, like we're kind of pulling from past HBO shows. Trying make this show during covid which you know it i think it was shot during covid on the watch they talked about mike white being asked to if he had like a a covid shootable idea and the, it was this and you can kind of feel that in uh in the execution of it because it's a lot of two two and plus one sort of like a few people in a room kind of fun stuff um but yeah i i I enjoyed the first episode i think it's going to be a good a bit of a comfort watch um yeah one one last little praise i'll give it here is how they make the conversations between people interesting, which is kind of something that I'm missing in the show that I've, I, we, we, (laughs) fuck, that was a big burp. My God. Um, that we have been watching the show. We've been watching over these last couple of weeks, Loki, where, you know, in movies, you can, I like when people in movies talk to each other. Movies and TV shows, I like when they talk to each other. But I've also, just in life and in the movie as well, and in in just general movies, I've seen people talk to each other 1,800,000 times. So if you're going to make it a big part of your your show where people are talking, you've got to add some interesting wrinkle. And I think this show does that pretty well, whether that be character dynamics or just like the environment people are in. So that's that's one thing that when I watched this, I was like, that's kind of what I'm missing in Loki, where it's like, sure, people are just, people are talking, but these character dynamics are not that interesting to me. And then the situation they're in is also not interesting to me. Where it's just like two people at a bar or two people walking or two people sitting at a table 
Um, and maybe that's just because Marvel TV stuff has not been hitting me as hard as it, it should or could. I'm not sure if it should be hitting me hard, but I don't know. Well, we're going to talk about Loki tomorrow um, and Black Widow tomorrow as well. We'll talk about Black Widow tomorrow, which I did enjoy. Spoiler alert. Anyway, next we're going to talk about this is where the real clickbait is. The big fatty fatty clickbait. And that, that's kind of a joke. What the fuck was that noise? Oh my god. The big fatty fatty clickbait is... I watched Chaos Walking. The YA adaptation starring Tommy Holland and Daisy Ridley. And... I kind of came to the conclusion that it's not much worse than the other YA adaptations. Um, There are some that are really bad. There are some that are okay. And there are some that are pretty good. Which is like the Hunger Games and... I'd say the first Maze Runner is pretty good. Um, And there's like... I think the first Twilight's also pretty good. But I think this one's just good. And it came out at the exact wrong time. It's been five or six years. Actually, like seven years since a YA dystopian adaptation has mattered. So I'm not sure like what they were thinking. Now, I'm going to talk about the production a little bit. Because it was a troubled production. And that hurt the movie. Um, along with it, just kind of just bad buzz all around, which I, I, I kind of understand why it would get bad buzz. Cause like, what the fuck are we doing making another dystopian, <laughs> another dystopian YA adaptation anyway? So let's talk about the production quickly here. So I, I don't know when the first hunger games came out, but I think it was around this time. And the rights to the Chaos Walking trilogy were acquired in 2011, which is 10 years ago. If you don't know what year it is today, this year, if you don't know what this year is, it it was 10 years ago from now. And you know what else was 10 years ago? Me having to restart my camera's recording because my camera, for some reason, could only record 27 minutes at a time. And that's just the biggest problem in my life right now. Um, which is not true, but I'm not going to tell you what the biggest problem in my life right now is. Anyway, I'm going to cut myself off talking right now. And we're back and it's getting hot and heavy. So, the rights to the Chaos Walking trilogy were acquired in 2011. And in 2012, Kaufman Charlie, first name Charlie, last name Kaufman, um... Writer and director of Synecdoche, New York. Probably the least known movie he's made. So don't know why I started off with that one. Um, Writer of Eternal Sunshine, being John Malkovich. Um, Wrote and I think, just wrote Adaptation. And writer and director of, I'm thinking of Ending Things. Which I really gotta get on my Kaufman shit. And start busting through his movies. Because I haven't done that yet, but uh, 
So he was hired to write in twenty, the first Chaos Walking in twenty twelve, which is already pretty radical. Like the stuff that Kaufman makes is not generally YA adaptation kind of stuff, or even like YA adjacent kind of stuff. It's a little headier than your Divergence, than your Giving Tree or whatever the fuck the Giver. That thing that Jeff Daniels, I think, was in. I don't know. Anyway. So Kaufman's hired to write it. And then over the next nine years, six other people either like revise or write, rewrite the script for this movie. So at this point, it's not a Kaufman movie anymore. Um, and it ends up getting uh, two people get credits on the movie. The writer of the novel, which if you're going to have him just write the screenplay, just hire him first. Um, and then another guy, I think his last name's Ford. I don't know if I wrote that down. I didn't write it down. I didn't think it was very important. And then I started talking about it. That's interesting. And then Robert Zemeckis was attached to direct in 2013, which would have been quite strange. Robert Zemeckis of Forrest Gump, um, Back to the Future. I think he did Roger Rabbit, who's framing Roger Rabbit. Um, Also Beowulf. Uh, And I think maybe Polar Express as well. Uh was was going to do this YA adaptation and then nothing really happened. And then Doug Lyman, who is a pretty famous Hollywood director, was attached in 2016. So we're, But we're still in... When Doug Lyman, who eventually would go on to direct the movie, for real, we're five years out still. Now, I guess it was delayed because of COVID. But still, we're we're four years out. Uh, and then they started principal photography in 2017, which is four years ago in Quebec, Scotland and Iceland. And then they had to do reshoots in 20 April of 2019 because, you know, Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland became mega stars in the world and they have to shoot Star Wars as in his Spider-Man's and Avengers uh, and, it, you know, they're only do, they did reshoots because of the poor test screenings. Uh, and it it came out, I guess, a month and a bit ago, two months ago, three months ago. I don't fucking I have no fucking clue because I don't even know what day it is. Um, but then it came out and basically just got panned by critics, calling it a pretty basic movie. Um that's basically the the biggest criticism. Got a has a thirty nine on Metacritic, twenty three on Rotten Tomatoes, which doesn't mean much, but kind of it's just a bit of a barometer. Twenty three percent of people had a positive thing to say about it, essentially, uh, and it got a B Cinema score, which is not really that bad. And it also, you know, you look at the marketing. And the marketing's not great. The poster's kind of ugly. Um, 
And I guess most posters nowadays are pretty ugly. Uh, I, I find it hard to look at modern movie posters because there's generally no sort of outstanding quality to them. It's just <coughs> big picture of character, plain background, title font. Um, rarely even is there a catchphrase or anything, which, you know, was pretty important for movies up until like the 2010s-ish. Um, people don't really have catchphrases for their movies anymore. It's just blew the nuts off IndieWire's fucking reviewer. Uh, uh, and then just kind of got released on PVOD and in some theaters and went away. So let's talk about the movie now. We talked about the behind the scenes where we went deep into the behind the scenes. So let's talk about the actual movie. As I said before, I don't think it's that bad. Um, will I watch the movie again? No. Uh, would I tell someone else to watch it? No. But it's not a fucking... It's not like The Room. It's not something that bad. Um, it's just kind of a YA adaptation. Like a basic YA adaptation. But it's also incredibly low concept. And by low concept, if you don't know, it's you can't just describe it and be like... It's not like Hunger Games where you're like... Uh, every year, people from different districts in the society have to fight in a, kids have to fight in an arena or like maze runner there's these people in a maze they got to get out like that's the pitch the pitch is there's a group of teens in a maze they got to run away um this is like they're on an alien planet and you can hear only men's thoughts and there's no women. And then a woman shows up from space and she comes down and then what? Like, what do they, like, why does that matter? Well, because these, this, the men that Tom Holland live with, not his dads, but like the people in the town, they want to, I guess they're going to, you know, do bad things to her or kill her or use her as a sort of sex slave. Um, and if they do, then that's going to happen and they, they're maybe going to capture her ship that's coming down to save her or them. Um, and if they don't, I don't know. There's no like big climax event. There's no like, it's not easy to describe, which is kind of essential when you're trying to advertise something to teenagers or really anyone. If you can't really distill it down into like a sentence, then I guess it would be for this, a world in a world with no women, a woman shows up. But even then that's like, 
like I'd much rather watch kids fight in an arena. So I don't know. It's a weird, weird movie to pitch. Um, also just like very, just kind of creepy, honestly. Um, but that's fine. There were some, some characters I liked in this. Um, some choices I thought could have been interesting, but didn't really pan out to being interesting. I like Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. They're pretty good. I like, I don't know. Daisy Ridley seems to kind of get the short end of the stick on most things that she does. Um, Ray Skywalker. Maybe he'll do something about the Star Wars one day, but Jesus, that was bad last movie. I mean, I really hope it's her last one of <laughs> one of those, not because of her, but just I don't want to hear any more of that story. Um, Tom Holland as Spider-Man is pretty good. He's one of my my favorite characters in the MCU. I like the Spider-Man movies quite a bit. I like Far From Home for some reason. Um, people don't seem to like Far From Home, but oh well. I'm not a Spider-Man purist like some of you. Um... I also like Tom Holland's, he's got some sort of like dad's situation going on, adopted father's thing. Um, and I like both the dads. Seem like nice dudes. I don't know. Um, Nick Jonas is playing like a minor villain. He's the son of Mads Mikkelsen, who is the mayor of Prestonville, and I believe that his last name is Preston, which is just a no-no. Um, don't name the village after yourself. Please don't name anything after yourself or based off your name at all. Ever don't do that. Uh, and, and Nick Jonas is the sort of his son. And Nick Jonas does nothing in the entire movie except fuck up. And the kind of look at things. And I think it could have been interesting to have Nick Jonas play a villain. I think he's a good enough actor. Um, really showed his chops on the Jonas Brothers. Or what was that show called? Jonas. And I still do want a fire pole in my living room. But that's for another day. Um, it, it takes advantage of sort of on... I guess this would be the 2017 shooting... But the on-location shoots uh, takes advantage of those environments, which is kind of nice. And, yeah, there's a lot of things it doesn't take advantage of, though, I think. And that's mostly the story. There's times where <coughs> Ridley and, and Holland are allowed to... I forget what their names in the movie are, and I really don't care. Uh, there's times when they're allowed to sort of talk to each other and kind of open up a little bit. And that's those, those times are fun. And those times are all right. Um, but it doesn't, a couple things that probably could have made these dynamics a little better were, would, would, are, we, what would be, um, Having more like fish out of water type things. Um, I got to stop saying, um, I'm saying it a lot, boys. Having more fish out of water things and sort of taking advantage of this idea that you can hear men's thoughts. And 
there are points where it sort of dips its little pinky toe into exploring the idea of male um like program masculinity in in a young man which i think is an interesting idea for a sort of ya book because that's not something that a lot of young young dudes think or talk about or are conscious of is their sort of like programmed be a man ideas that they have in their head from generally from older male figures in their life. So it kind of dips its toe in that a little bit. And I think it would have been interesting to sort of dive in to that. Um, which I'm not sure if I can really fault it for that. Cause I guess there's some more stuff that it has to do, but a lot of the stuff in here is like less interesting to me than that. Um, David O'Yellaway plays this sort of preacher who I guess can live while he's on fire. I'm not really sure, but he plays a sort of preacher character who I don't really know what his deal is. I guess he, they explain it by saying that he thought women didn't have souls cause you couldn't hear their thoughts, but I don't know. He's kind of pointless throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I just kind of wish they ex they explored the mind of the young man more than they actually did. But you know, in the end, it's about about as good as some of the other ones. I I think I ranked it in the middle of my letterboxed YA adaptations rankings, which includes uh, Maze Runner, Divergent. Like the series is the series of Maze Runner, Divergent, fucking Twilight, and Hunger Games, and then this, because I guess this was supposed to be a series. I don't think it will now. Wonder how that sounded on the tape. <coughs> uh, yeah, Chaos Walking's fine. I I'm not sure if I'd recommend it, but if you see it on something not that bad if you like YA adaptations it's not that bad unless you read the book probably because I, I figure it's another faithful adaptation or it might be too faithful <laughs> and that's his problem anyway the next thing we're going to talk about one last one of two is the Brian De Palma film Blowout came out in 1981 so this seems kind of weird, but I'll explain it to you a little more. Remember when I was talking about Cotton Comes to Harlem? Well, this is also in that neo-noir collection. And I was going to watch the neo-noir movies in order. And I might go back and do that. But I was looking at my podcast feed. And the big picture did an episode, a sort of De Palma tribute um, and this blowout was the movie that they, him, uh, Sean Fennessy and Adam Naiman talked about the most as being like Brian De Palma's masterwork. And I was like, blowout, what the fuck is this? I've never heard of this in my entire life. Like it's not on any lists. It's not like talked about on, on film Twitter or anything. 
I had never heard of this before, and I really haven't researched De Palma as well, or watched as much De Palma as I probably should have by now. Uh, so I, I kind of dove into this, and I was like, okay, let's see what this is about. And it's just got a great, it's just fucking good. Like, it's so engaging. Um, it's so interesting. And one of the things I wrote down here is it's weird to watch a movie that treats you like you, you have a brain in your head where it's not always like there isn't always two characters when one character is doing something and the other's like, what are you doing? And then the one guy's like, well, now I'm trying to bone the caramel to the other guy. That doesn't make any sense, but I think you will understand what I'm talking about there. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't like feel the need to over explain what people are doing because if you make the film in the right way, you set things up, you sort of explain them beforehand, not always verbally, just explain them visually. Then when they happen again, people are going to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And there are so many just interesting frames, interesting shots, interesting composition in this movie. And I just fucking, it kind of blew me away because the other stuff I was watching this week, not that it's terrible, but it's not like this level of the, the artist putting their impression on the work. Um... Yeah, so the, it stars John Travolta as a sort of as a like a folly artist for maybe even C tier horror movies, uh, and he's just you know there's some things with him, but in '81 he's just like charming and like the most handsome guy, even though he's got like a weird chest hair. Sort of like a weirdly large head, weird chin. He's just like captivating. Um, and he's got this weird like charming and relaxed sort of walk that he does. Um, and I just, I don't know. It's, it's like you could just feel him being a movie star. Um no singing in this, by the way. He's this is not him uh, like in Greece, though I do enjoy Greece. Uh, the shots are just incredibly deep, like in terms of the visual depth. There's just like layers and layers and layers, and there's sh stuff going on in the background all the time, and you can just kind of let your eye look around and peek back and forth at things, and there's always something going on. Uh, which is kind of lost in the, um, you know, hey, check your, check your box if you want to hear me complain about green screen again. But it's kind of lost in the green screen background era that we are currently living in with all these like Marvel blockbusters and just, movie and just movies in general. People don't really have stuff going on in the background. Uh, it's set in Philadelphia, which is kind of weird. But it also gives it like a bit of a smaller, but also dirtier and sort of, but also less populated sort of vibe that it being said in New York would be. Because New York is like, especially in the 80s, 
it's just like a fucking powerhouse. Like it takes over the movie. And I don't think Philadelphia really does that. Um, cause it doesn't have the sort of power that a New York or even like a Los Angeles or San Francisco would to take over a movie. It's just kind of like city, city X, but instead of it, it just being an unknown city, it's Philadelphia. Uh, the basic premise of the movie is a guy records a presidential candidate's car crash and he learns that like his recording proves that the candidate's tire was shot out. Uh, and then he saves this girl from the crash and I don't know, he kind of falls for her and there's some some criminal intrigue. I don't really want to spoil much of it because I would really recommend it. Um, but the, the way that audio is used is just, I don't know. It's just not something that you really, you really find now. Um, maybe that's because it was so new at the time, but it just, it's just, I, I wanted this script is just kind of great. I I don't know. The story's fine. Like I don't I'm not sure if I'm blown away by the story, but the script and the directing is just great. Um yeah, I, I think blown blow it's like a masterpiece. I was so blown away when I watched it. Um so I I would highly recommend Blowout. Last thing we're going to talk about, I'm going to kind of go through this one quickly. So sorry if you you really care about Quiet Place, but um, Quiet Place 2 just came out on Amazon Prime as far as I know. And I, I've, I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. Uh, I liked the first one quite a bit, I'm, but I'm not generally a horror movie guy, um, even though I'm watching the Fear Street movies. But yeah the, it it feels sort of half baked quiet place too at least it did to me in terms of story because after the the cold open, which is really good and like kind of what I wish the entire movie was uh after the cold open, we go to the aftermath of quiet place one. Which I didn't really rewatch, so maybe I'm sort of missing a few steps, but I don't think I am. The aftermath of Quiet Place One, and you know, some stuff happens. They go to a place, and we meet a character that we met in the cold open, played by Cillian Murphy, and he and the daughter go on a bit of an adventure. I'm not really sure why, because he was supposed to bring her back to the mom. But, oh well, we'll just go with it. They go on an adventure. And you've got these, you're kind of going back and forth between these plot lines. The plot line of Cillian Murphy and the daughter. And then Emily Blunt and the son and baby. But the exact same thing is happening to both in both plot lines at the same time. If that makes sense. Like especially in the climax, 
I don't know. It just, it's kind of jarring and it just feels like the story doesn't, like half the story doesn't move at all. There's no change really in the Emily Blunt side of the storyline. Um, no one or no one in nothing changes in those characters. Uh, and then in the Cillian Murphy and daughter plotline, I think that's the movie that they should have made. That's, that's a quiet place part two where they're going out into the world because they don't have the, the father anymore. They go out in the world, they meet Cillian Murphy's character, re-meet him, sort of catch up about like what their experience has been. And then the family kind of goes, but I, I could see them not wanting to do that because maybe it's like they're replacing the father, but also like the interesting movie is in the world. The world is kind of what you've got to rely on now since you killed fucking killed dad in the first one. Um, so the, the family's kind of broken up or just exploring like the family dynamics at all. Um, but yeah, I just found this movie, like it's getting pretty good reviews. I just didn't like it. It felt like it was half of a good movie and it was also short, which I, I generally praise things for being, but the shortness also led to it just being like, not what it should be. Like this is, it's half of an idea, half of a good idea. And the other half is how do we get this to 90 minutes? Cause it's only like an hour and a half long, maybe an hour 40 if you round up. And also they're in a fucking metal factory or something and they're closing rusty metal steel doors and they're not making noise. Like, what do you even, these are rusty hinges. They're going to squeak. Like, what are you talking about? How is that allowed? That's not real. That's ridiculous. <sighs> anyway, I, I just found this sort of half-baked. Um, I'm going to wrap this up now. This is going to be the outro now. I'm going to start the outro now. Hello. I cut out I cut out the old outro because it was bad. Um I didn't like the quiet place and I'm the the announcement that I alluded to at the start of this is that I'm going to be moving the the sort of Marvel DC Star Wars eventually um big franchise things that'll probably include James Bond, Mission Impossible as well, um, a couple other things. I'm going to be moving that to a separate episode because I don't want it to compete with the stuff that I kind of like more. Um, and I'm just going to kind of do that based on, uh, based on how I feel about it. Like, I don't think Chaos Walking or Quiet Place 2 is really that, uh, so we're going to we're going to move that to a separate episode and I think that'll also give me more time to kind of break it down and I think I'm going to go a little more in depth on it and kind of really try to nail down what I like or don't like about the Marvel things cuz I you know spoiler alert watch Black Widow enjoyed it a fair amount so 
yeah, I, I, I think that'll be good. And I think that'll give me a little more breathing room to, to sort of analyze and work through the, the Marvel, the big blockbuster franchise of it all. So anyway, you have a good day and that's it. Have a good night as well, I guess, or don't, but please, it, it's better if you do. So goodbye. <laughs>